When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester Evening Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. And a bit of a special edition podcast today. Uh, as always, we'll reflect on United's last game, which was the 3-1 win at West Ham. And as always, we will also look ahead to United's next game, which is the pivotal Champions League match against RB Leipzig. But myself and Tyrone will also discuss uh, the new initiative, which is the Premier League Fans Player of the Year Award, which we are... Uh, promoting a bit today there's a overall nominee for the best player in the Premier League over the calendar year and also a vote which you can get involved with for United's own best player uh, in the calendar year there's probably one standout candidate but there's a debate to be had and some other players that we want to give a mention to so we'll come on to that a bit later in the podcast but I've already introduced him once Uh, Tyrone nice to have you back on the Manchester's Red podcast Thank you. A pleasure to be back for such a special occasion as well. It's a, it's a real privilege to be able to discuss the uh, this player of the year stuff. Yeah, like I said, we'll get onto that later. And uh, like I said, there'll be a chance for all of you at home to have your say as well over the coming weeks, just before Christmas, that will be announced. So lots of opportunities to, to see that all over the Manchester Evening User. You're not the only one back, Tyrone. There was fans back in the Premier League this weekend, 2,000 of them at the London Stadium. Uh, United versus West Ham and if there's probably ever a game which summed up the Solskjaer reign at United it might have been that one United were absolutely atrocious for near enough maybe an hour of the match but they won 3-1 so can you complain too much they're up to fifth in the Premier League they're only a few points off the top of the table and they have that game in hand against Burnley you've said it over the last two weeks Tyrone this United team are impossible to analyse because there's a positive and there's a negative with every single performance. Um, you know, you've got to take the positive of the three points and the, the rise up the table. It's another big week for United coming ahead. But the West Ham game, United, was just awful. And you can see why some fans are still maybe even the OA out brigade when United are doing well, because the football has been atrocious. Yeah, the, the first half was a disaster. I mean, this is a bit niche journalistically, but I would love to know how many words I've deleted about Manchester United this season because games like that and against Southampton when they're 2 down at half-time, you kind of, during a match, give yourself the chance to get ahead. You write loads of words of, of criticism about how bad they've been and suddenly it's just turned on its head and you have to delete half of it and, and start again and put a more positive spin on it. And I mean, that just sums them up this season. They were, they were so bad in the first half. I think Gary Neville said it's as bad as it gets. The goal just summed them up. West Ham's two most dangerous players, both winning three headers in the six-yard box. They were very fortunate it was only 1-0. I mean, it could have been three or four and they, they couldn't have complained. And even the start of the second half, to be honest, it didn't really change at the start of the second half. The first five or ten minutes, West Ham with a better team again. And then suddenly United just started to get a foothold, got the goal, and then for 15 minutes, they were absolutely fantastic. And I mean, that last half an hour, they themselves could probably score five. They are just impossible to predict. It, it makes it so hard to know, to kind of assess their progress as well. We don't really know where they're going. I mean, sooner or later, these slow starts are going to cost them. We'll, we'll come on to Leipzig, but if they play that badly in the first half in Germany, they will be 3 or 4-0 down and the game will be out of sight. So they can't afford to do it against good teams. The fortune is they've not 
done that they've not played any of the top six away from home yet in the Premier League, and I think and and not you know if they play like that against those sides, if they play like that against Anf- at Anfield or the Etihad for forty five minutes, then it's game over. So they do need to learn from it, and this. You know, it's often a cliche in football that it's all about the results. But when you're trying to build something, as Solskjaer is, it's more about performance in a way. And you can kind of accept a poor result if you're seeing consistent performances that you know are bringing you progress. But at the moment, you're not seeing that from United. You're seeing what they can do in, in fits and spurts. But you're also seeing far too many spells where they're just not at it and just don't look a coherent side. And, and that first half was a complete shambles. And I think that has to be a concern while also acknowledging there's obviously a lot of character in this team. They're obviously playing for the manager. They're obviously, you know, they are digging out results and for that they deserve great credit and the individual quality is is getting them out of, of sticky situations and that's a great base to work from. But I think you can praise that while also being very concerned about some of the things you're seeing on the pitch as well. Exactly. And like you said, you know, if, if a team take advantage of that United are there for the beat and we saw that in the Spurs game okay with the caveat of Marshall's red card for half time but you do sense that you know United could get beaten as heavily as they were by Tottenham again this season like you said either by Liverpool or or Man City if they were that naive and and that bad in the first half again but United did win and again it was the halftime subs which changed it um Solskjaer said that Marshall and Cavani both had knocks at half-time, which is why they came off. I think I remember Ian Rush saying that if you ever play a bad half of football, always pretend you're injured when you get substituted. <laughs> then, then you've got the excuse, you've got the get-out-of-jail-free card. So, uh, you know, United made those changes. They had to make the changes. Um, tactically, though, it's a difficult one as well, Tyrone, because you can either praise or hammer Solskjaer for what he did on Saturday because... He got it wrong from the start, but then he fixed it. So is that signs of good management or bad management or a bit of both? Um, possibly a bit of both. I mean, maybe I doubt he'll be resting Fernandez again anytime soon. He was probably right to rest him. I think we've we've spoken at length about how he is easily United's most important player this season. Over the year, some would say, Tyrone. Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll come on to, to such debates and we'll see if he's in the four nominees. Um but they are just a completely different side without him. He just simply has to play. But United are going to play twice a week, every week until January at the very least. So it's a fine balance between playing him and accepting that he does need a rest at some point. So I do feel a salt for Solskjaer a bit there that he probably did the right thing to try and rest him. And, you know, he said in his pretty much interviews with the broadcasters at the London Stadium that ideally he won't use him at all. And in the end, he had to use him at half time. And that probably sums up where United are in terms of, of relying on him at the moment. So you can you can kind of see why he tried to do it. It might have been a, a risky game to do it in, considering West Ham are, are pretty good at home and are having a good season. But it makes sense to do it. That I mean, Solskjaer said at half-time that they simply weren't creating chances for all the possession they had in the first half. And it was, I mean, it seemed to me like a midfield that was devoid of a plan. They didn't seem to know what they were doing. Far too often, Van der Beek was dropping deep. There were, there were times where McTominay, Pogba and Van der Beek were basically in a, in a flat line across the midfield. There was no one sort of breaking the lines, no passes into feet on offer. The runs weren't coming from the forwards. But then it was a midfield three that had never played together before and a front three that had never played together before in a season where you're getting maybe three training sessions in a week and two of those are, are basically walk-through tactical sessions, planning set pieces and stuff like that. So maybe we shouldn't be so surprised at, at that lack of cohesion and going to be quite a hard thing to develop this season but yeah I mean it was noticeable how Fernandes and Rashford changed the game and I suppose you credit Solskjaer whether he made that change at half time we don't know with with Cavani being injured but 
he was brave in, in making two half-time subs, especially when he's only got three available and he had to use the third fairly quickly with Martial. So a credit to him for making those changes. And I can see why he, he tried to rest key players. It's something he's going to have to come back to at some point. But maybe you do it at home against Fulham or West Brom rather than away at West Ham. Yeah, exactly. You know, Solskjaer gets asked every week about the over-reliance on Bruno Fernandes. And then when he does drop him, or maybe not drop him, but rest him, he gets criticised for that. It really is a lose-lose situation at the moment for, for the Atamadra in, in that regard. The other big decision and the big selection was Kevin Gold, Dean Henderson, uh, chosen over David De Gea. Um, you wrote a piece about this over the weekend, Tyrone, which readers can have a look at if they want to go on the Manchester United News website. And you made a really good point in in the fact that you know you said that this week there's going to be two big games coming up with Leipzig and Man City. So Solskjaer's going to revert to the place he really does trust for those two matches. Dean Henson pulled off some fine saves and typically maybe what David De Gea would do as well. But Dean Henson also played a key role in the first goal and it's Dean Henderson's comfortable sort of attitude with the ball that's similar to Edison and Allison, two of the best keepers mm. in the Premier League, that maybe gives him an advantage over De Gea at the moment. And most of us weren't expecting to see Dean Henderson maybe before that Sheffield United game, which is coming up. Uh, that seems like the most um, suitable one in the Everton won the Carabao Cup. But how did you rate Dean Henderson? Do you think we're maybe getting a bit carried away or do you think he really is the real deal and offers something genuinely different to David De Gea and goal? I thought he was good without being exceptional. The saves he made are a save, like you say, you would expect him to make and you would expect De Gea to make. Um the element was, you know, he, he played a key role in that equaliser with his long, long pass for Fernandez. Whether it was in or out, we don't know. We know uh, David Moyes' views on it. And it did make me laugh that Solskjaer said in his post-match press conference that he couldn't say for certain because the ball was above his head. I thought if the ball's above your head, it's probably out then. So, you know, you're not actually stood on the pitch. But so maybe yeah, they got away. Yeah, the ball's behind me, so I couldn't see. Yeah, yeah it probably, probably gave away that one with, uh, with those comments. But, you know, it was a good pass. And there were a few other instances early on, especially where he, he played out from the back. And, you know, he's he's 23 and every keeper of that age these days is is brought up, especially in elite academies, having to be comfortable with with the ball at your feet. It was noticed when I watched Liverpool last night and that young lad with the unpronounceable name in goal for them was Kelleher. incredibly... That's Rexham, it, yeah. Wrexham also have a defender called Kelleher, so I've, I've been educated on how to pronounce his name. Uh, <laughs> so... I know if I don't care, it's saw even on the back of his shirt, it was printed wrong, the Liverpool goal oh, was last it? night. So I guess, it, I guess it sums up how difficult his name is. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he was, for someone who was making his Premier League debut, he was noticeably like very comfortable with the ball at his feet. And I think that's what you expect of every goalkeeper that's going to come out of the United Academy, the Liverpool Academy, the City Academy these days, that they have to be good with the ball at their feet. And I don't think it's any doubt that it's not De Gea's strong point playing out from the back. That There was a spell at the start of, or when last season resumed without crowds, that United tried to play out from the back a bit more. And you can probably do it a bit then without the fans getting on your back. But it was still, you know, even watching from the press box or from home, it was terrifying to watch De Gea kind of pinging short passes into Lindelof and Maguire and, and taking return balls for, for all that he's been a phenomenal servant to United. He's probably, I mean, he's nowhere near Edison or Allison's level with the ball at his feet. And, it depends how Solskjaer wants to play it, but it's, it's there's no doubt that being good with the ball at your feet for a goalkeeper is an asset now. And Henderson, while also probably not quite being at Edison and Allison's level, is a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet, a lot more comfortable clipping those passes out to your fullback or clipping 30-yard balls into the feet of your midfielder to, to try and get your team playing. So that might be something that, that kind of swings it in his favour if it, if it does become a, a close decision. But I, I mean, as for this week, 
I'd be surprised if De Gea didn't play both games. But I do wonder if that might be something that, that gives Henderson an advantage over him at some point. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, like you said, last season, he sort of stuck out like a sore thumb to hear that Solskjaer implemented this new style of play in which he really wanted United to get up to speed of playing out from the back, be more comfortable. I mean, it's part of the reason they bought Maguire. They wanted a ball-playing centre-back, someone who start attacks from, from their own box. But De Gea seemed to be sort of out of place there. He didn't seem to quite fit it, which you know is understandable. It's not too late to... um in his career from to change years old day. So if he really weren't, maybe he could, but like I said, Dean Henderson definitely has, has that in his locker where De Gea maybe struggles there. Um, Tyrone, talk about the win and United's ridiculous away form. I mean, we talk about how unpredictable United are, but they've become very predictable at going behind and then winning away from home. Yeah. They've got the best away form in the Premier League, but one of the worst home records. And it's been the struggle of their season so far that, you know, United are, awful at Old Trafford but fantastic on the road and you know as long as you win games that's all that matters really but I guess when it's coming around these circumstances all the time it does highlight sort of ongoing issues which aren't being resolved and West Ham similar to Southampton last week and they're one of the surprise packages in the Premier League this season they went into the game high up in the table and you can see why they play some good football they're effective under their manager and you know all of David Moyes was a failure at United. He's he's doing well at West Ham. He's he's sort of regained his reputation a bit. But United, they're winning these games and they're winning ugly. Why is it you think that United are winning these games, but they're not getting the credit some other teams get? Because when Tottenham struggled to beat West Brom, but beat West Brom, people were saying, that's the sign of a title challenger. But if United, that's not the case. Uh, why do you think that is? Oh, that's, that's a deep question. Um... I don't I guess know, it's really. because they're losing at home every week. Yeah, I mean, the fact they're losing at home every week is not ideal. Um, but they are, I mean, if they win their game in hand, which is away at Burnley, and you'd imagine they will win that at the moment, then they would only be two points, I think, off the top of the Premier League. So, you know, you, you can't really fault that. In a, in a season where it feels like anything could happen and it could be a five-horse race, you'd have to say at the moment, United should be in that conversation. Um, and we, we talk about their away wins. I mean... A lot of the theory about this United side is that they can only play on the counter-attack. But if that's the case, then going behind away from home is the worst thing that can happen to them. But every time they've come from behind and, and won. So that kind of kills that theory. They've won away. I mean, we've said they're not faced any top six sides yet, but they've won away at Everton, West Ham and Southampton. I can't imagine there'll be many, if any, Premier League teams that win away at all three of those this season. I mean, City have already drawn at West Ham. Liverpool have drawn at Everton. So there go those two straight away. I mean, they're, they're three teams that you would imagine would be filling maybe those seventh to tenth positions. Decent sides that can cause you trouble on a day and especially in an unpredictable league. So, you know, United do deserve credit for winning those games. I think they're just, I mean, I said it on Twitter on Saturday, you've said it here already. It does feel just like they're beyond analysis. Like they're just so, they're so hard to get your head around of, are they just relying on individual brilliance to bail them out? Are they just being affected by the fact that they've still had no, they had no pre-season? You know, it, it, they are still kind of working their way into a rhythm this season. They, they can turn it on, you know, against Southampton for most of the game, they were very good, to be fair. At Everton, they were excellent. For a 20, 25-minute spell at West Ham, they were superb. So they can do it. Like we say, the home form is, is a major issue. They need to improve the home form. Maybe when they get some fans back, hopefully sooner rather than later, we, we might see that improve. But... You're right in that they don't, they're probably not getting the credit of other sides. I mean, we're seeing Tottenham just 
grind it out. I mean, they stunk the place out in the second half against Arsenal yesterday, but it's classic Mourinho and that they got the job done. But it, it was it was truly awful to watch. And even Tottenham fans must have been sat there thinking, can we not just have a go here? It was, you know, it was dreadful in the second 45 minutes, but they got the job done and we know that's what Mourinho does. So, you know, I, I imagine probably none of those teams have, have played as badly as United have in spells this season. They have produced some shockers like against Tottenham, like the first half on, on Saturday. And, you know, that that is a concern. But I think at the moment, you've, you've probably got to include them in a discussion of, of a title race. There's probably, I mean, any of the top five and maybe even Leicester, you'd say, are in the discussion for, for winning the league this year. And somehow you have to include United in it. I'm not quite sure how, but, you know, they've put themselves in it. So they probably deserve deserve to be in it. And if they can, if they can improve that home form and find some consistency, then they're definitely in it. Because to have played as badly as they have in some games, be in a position yeah. where they might only be two points off the top of the table, it is a hell of an effort. Exactly. For United to be a club supposedly in crisis, but so close to the, the mm. table and having maybe their first genuine title challenge since Sir Alex Ferguson left, you know, you've got to maybe take a step back sometime and see. But like you said, there's a lot to, to come over next season. This packed fixture schedule will uh, will really, you know, by, by January, February, you really get a good idea of, of who are the real contenders and who maybe are the pretenders instead. But um, United's uh, strong squad depth should, should help them in, in that aspect. And, you know, like we said, uh, Tyrone, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the calendar year plays out. But reflecting on the calendar year, uh, United's Player of the Year, um, we've launched this uh, sort of like initiative, as we said, it's the Fan uh, Player of the Year. There's a general for the best player in the Premier League this calendar year, 2020. And also there's an individual vote for Manchester United's own Footballer of the Year. So that's the MEN Manchester United Fans Footballer of the year and there are four nominees for the award we've already hinted at one of them and if you're eagle-eyed you'll be able to see them in the graphic behind us so the four players who have been nominated for Manchester United's uh, fans player of the year which you can vote for on the Manchester News website and of course if you see watching this video clip on social media there'll also be links in the replies I'm sure um, the four nominees are Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood and Anthony Marshall and um, we'll discuss all those in a minute, but right now we'll get into the sort of terms and conditions. Um, it's your turn as a fan to pick the winner of this brand new award. You can go online to www.fansfootballeroftheyear.co.uk or fill in the form which is on our website and you can register your choice and wait to see who you have crowned as the MEN's Manchester United Fans Footballer of the Year 2020. So whether it's Fernandez, Rashford, Greenwood or Marshall, be sure to have your say on who has impressed you. And if you're watching this, like we said, on social media, get involved in the replies and comments. Are there any players you feel should have been nominated who haven't been? Or do you think it was always going to be uh, maybe a sweep, clean sweep for uh, the man that we expect will win it ourselves. Um, also, there is a special chat room. There's an article on our website, and I'm sure we've put a link to that in the replies as well, where you can have a discussion with other United fans and get involved on this matter. The winner for both the MEN Manchester United Fans Football of the Year and the overall Fans Football of the Year will be announced on December the 21st. So you can keep an eye on our social media channels and on the MEN website for the results. But you know, Tyrone, I guess the one aspect of United's play which has been quite satisfying to watch this season has been the attacking play. So Fernandez, Greenwood, Rashford and Marshall nominated. I think Bruno Fernandez is Bruno Fernandez. And then you've got an attacking trio who did outscore Liverpool uh, last season. Um, so you can understand why. First of all, the four nominees, do you think they're the correct ones? Um, probably, yeah. I mean, it, it has been a year for United all about 
attacking, um, which, which seems strange to say considering where they were kind of at the end of January with that, you know, turgid 2-0 loss to Burnley and just completely unable to to create chances. But uh, I mean, one player in particular has, has changed it. We'll probably come on to him last considering he's, uh, you would think he's an almost certain winner, but it has been about goals. They were scoring goals pretty freely before lockdown, after lockdown, it was undoubtedly about goals. I mean, they, they had that four successive wins by three or more goals. All four of those players were, were amongst the goals. The front three played together an awful lot at that stage and and scored, you know, they, they scored a lot of goals and, and looked very impressive. So, you know, I mean, they've all had, I suppose Rashford's had injuries. Thankfully, the he came back after lockdown, which probably helps him. I mean, Greenwood didn't play an awful lot, I suppose, in, in kind of the first three months of the year, but was a regular afterwards. So you, you can see why why they've been chosen. I mean, you probably give an, a tip of the hat to players like Aaron Wambasaka, maybe Luke Shaw and, and Fred as well. But I think for in terms of a calendar year for United, it does feel like it has been about goals. Um, you know, we mentioned those, those away wins previously. They scored three at Everton, they scored three at Southampton, three at West Ham. They scored five against Leipzig in the first game. So it does feel like they're a team built around goals at the moment. And, and those four are, are probably the key men to provide them. Yeah, of course. And like you said, Tony, you've got a, it's the calendar year, you know, and mm. someone like Anthony Marshall, who at the moment's not in form at all. And many United fans are like, why is he there? But he scored the first United hat-trick since 2013 in the win against Sheffield United. He was scoring winners away at Chelsea when Rashford was injured. You know, Anthony Marshall has had an excellent calendar year. Last season, he was one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Obviously, he might not have the number nine sort of sort of fame and illustrious credit that the likes of Kane and Aguero and, you know, Salah and Mane are getting. But it's it's Anthony Marshall, who, who had a really good return for United last season and scored the same amount of goals as Marcus Rashford, who, you know, talk about him as a person a lot lately, but as a footballer as well, has come on leaps and bounds. You know, this is a player who yeah. only burst onto the scene a few years ago and he's a household name, he's an England international and he's a reliable striker now for United. And I think this season as well, we've seen Rashford add that sort of, just direct running to his game. You know, the way he sort of torments defenders. I've seen them a lot in European games, the way that he just seems to always have the defenders on the back foot and he seems to have added this sort of unpredictable sort of jinking run. It's really frightening the way that he can run at them. And then you've got Mason Greenwood, who is a generational talent and could be one of the very best strikers of all time, really. And that is the calibre of player you're dealing with. Like you, Tyrone, I probably would have put Luke Shaw in there. I'm not sure how I would have squeezed him in, who would have dropped out. Maybe Greenwood would have dropped out for, for the overall year because I think Luke Shaw was excellent for United uh, at the turn of the year. He opened up the possibility to play the three at the back, which we've seen almost United's preferred formation at times, uh, particularly when they play the bigger games. And it'd be interesting to see you know, over the coming weeks if United do revert to that themselves. So honourable mention for Luke Shaw, but he's never going to win it really anyway, I don't think, because there is one standout <laughs> candidate and you know, we talk about him every week. United are said to be over-reliant on Bruno Fernandes, but Tyrone, that man, he is just on another level and he is not just sort of in the discussion as United's best player, but he is right up there now as a genuinely one of the best players in the Premier League. I remember when he signed, people were saying, is he really that good? You know, he scores some goals, but is he scoring that good? I know it's Bruno Fernandes, he just scores all these 12-yarders, <laughs> but uh, he really is getting into that sort of bracket now where you could say he is like a Kevin De Bruyne. Okay, he's still got a bit more to do and he has to add trophies to his game and maybe show the consistency that De Bruyne has done since he returned to the Premier League. But Bruno Fernandes, he is the real deal. 
Yeah, yeah, he's world class footballer. There's there's no doubt about it. And the, probably the challenge the challenges for United to allow him to win trophies here because the way he's playing, you can't imagine he's going to hang around if, if the trophy drought continues. So you know, it, it is absolutely essential that United keep pace with with Fernandez's own development because this year he is he has proved himself as a world class player. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He's um, he just tries things that, that others don't. And his, his, I mean, there's so much data and stats in football these days. And if you were to look at Fernandez's stats around pass completion and stuff like that, you'd look at him and think, well, he's, he's a championship midfielder. How can you play like that with that pass completion be thriving at a club like Manchester United? But his pass completion is poor because he tries passes that no one else can. And when they do come off, then normally they create chances to put United on the front foot. You know, against West Ham at the weekend, he came on for 45 minutes and created eight chances, which is two more than any player in any game this season. I think De Bruyne managed six against Wolves and that was in 90 minutes. So it just shows how integral he is to, to United, how he, how he can create chances, get them on the front foot. He, he, you know, he, his penalty record's fantastic. He scores all kinds of goals as well. There's a stunning volley against Basak Sahir recently. Um, he, he scored the goal against Southampton when he was just, you know, he was in the position of a striker, really, to, to collect Cavani's pass and, and finish really smartly. And he, he's got a phenomenal eye for goal. He's supremely creative. And he has just had a phenomenal calendar year. I mean, I can't remember the last time a player had an impact like that. I mean, you're talking, it's Cantona-level impact in terms of what he's added to the team. And he, he's raised the performance of those around him at times. He's dragged them up by the bootlaces to, to closer to his standard and... I don't think you can underplay the importance he's got to, to United. When they signed him, I was, I, I mean, I mean, I'd seen clips of him and, and bits of him, but I'm not going to pretend I watch the Portuguese league every week. So um, I, I had not seen loads of him. My concern was that his numbers were incredible in Portugal. He was available for an initial fee of, of less than 50 million, been scouted by the rest of Europe. But for some reason, United seemed to have pretty much a free run at him last January and some before, which... Kind of made me think, what 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 are these scouts seeing that us who watch his YouTube highlights aren't? Um, but obviously nothing. For whatever reason, Real Madrid and, and the ref looked at him and, and just decided against it. And, and United went for it. Solskjaer had seen enough. We know Solskjaer scouted him in person, I think, and, and Phelan did as well. And they've been vindicated in it. Any concerns that he was going to find the step up too much, which is often a concern when players come from Portugal or Holland, um, has completely been shot out of the water straight away, and he's raised his level. And there's no doubt he's one of the best. He's one of the best four or five players in the Premier League. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, I think the thing that separates him from other maybe players from those leagues is the attitude. He's got this winning mentality, mm. and this, you know, he's he's not afraid either. He's come to United, and he's he's seen as a, a dressing room which is lacking leaders, and he's just sort of stamped his authority and he is United's leader and although Harry Maguire wears the captain's armband and you know he does a really good job of, of that Maguire and he, he does a lot of the media duties etc but it's Fernandez who really leads that team by example on the pitch which you know is is what United needed and it's almost I find it almost funny the fact that you, you know look at other teams people say De Bruyne at Man City, Van Dijk at Liverpool, Messi at Barcelona but Apparently, United being going to rely on Bruno Fernandes is a problem. No, it's yeah. not. He's their best player. So, of course, you're going to rely on him. And it's credit to week in, week out. He is their match winner. and He's the player who is the catalyst for the team. So, I don't buy into their reliance too much because all the other top clubs in Europe, they still have a standout player. 
you know, if Juventus are playing and they need a goal, it's Ronaldo who gets it. If United need a goal, it's Bruno Fernandes. So I don't think it's so much of an issue in that part. But Tyrone, it sounds like you and me at least have got a clear winner for United player of the calendar year. You know, is it just, is it that unanimous for you? Yeah, I mean, it has to be. Um, if I was picking a, a second, I'd, I'd probably go with Rashford. Um, I think he's had, you know, a brilliant year on and off the pitch. We're talking about on the pitch here. He, he's had a supreme year, a supreme last season and has pretty much carried it on this season. It, it felt after that hat-trick against Leipzig that he was sort of on the verge of entering that world-class bracket. Then he's had a bit of a slow spell, but on Saturday, he was absolutely phenomenal for 45 minutes. I thought he was better than Fernandes when he came on and I thought he was more important. Although Fernandes created those chances, it, it felt like Rashford was was more important to getting United on the front foot and playing. And he just looked, he looked so, for a player who has been relatively out of form and since that Leipzig game had scored a penalty and a heavily deflected goal against PSG, he he looked still supremely confident and just, he ran West Ham ragged, took his goal brilliantly, such a calm finish, which is an area he's improved massively in, in 2020. We think of the finish against uh, Brighton earlier in the season as well, when he, we cut back and, and sold the defender a brilliant dummy and it, his calmness in front of goal has improved massively and does feel like he's he's very close to entering that world-class bracket for attackers. He probably needs to be doing it every week at the moment. If there was one criticism, he's he's maybe not. He, he can go missing in games just a little bit too often at the moment, but he's showing moments where he, he is undoubtedly a, a phenomenal attacker. And his challenge has to be, really, there was a couple of times last season where Solskjaer compared him to Ronaldo in terms of what he can do and, and some of the goals he scored. And his challenge now, I mean, last season was his best for United. I think he got 22 goals, but he should be aiming for 30 this season. Ronaldo had a season like that, and then the following year was scoring 40, and has scored 40 pretty much every season since, and more than that sometimes. So Rashford's challenge now is, is to be scoring 30 this year and, and probably pushing 40 the year after that, because there's no doubt he, he's got the tools to be able to do it. So he just needs to do it a little bit more consistently. But yeah, I think he's, in terms of calendar year, I think he's had a, a massive year and is, is undoubtedly one of United's key men now. Okay, so you've heard from myself, Tyrone. A reminder that the nominees for United's fans player of the year are Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Marshall, and Mason Greenwood. As we said earlier, you can go to www.fansfootballofthe.co.uk to vote, or you can fill in the form, which is on our website. There'll also be links to any of the social media posts we put about the award. And like I said earlier, the voting for both the Manchester United Fans Footballer of the Year and the overall Fans Footballer of the Year, which Bruno Fernandes has been nominated, along with De Bruyne, and basically the whole Liverpool team uh, ends on December the 21st. Thank you very much. And like I said, fingers crossed, maybe Bruno Fernandes could have an upset in that one, but it relies on your votes if he is to do so. So get involved online and like I said December 21st we will find out who wins that inaugural award. Now Tyrone on to RB Leipzig. Quick one on this one. You know United go to this Champions League game. If they if they don't lose there into the last 16, are you confident that they can do that? <laughs> um no idea to be honest. I mean it's probably good for United that these are the type of games that it feels like they've been very good in this season, that they're well suited to it. Um you know, they'll have the chance to play on the counter-attack. The problem for them is that they can get away with a draw, yet they're playing with a handicap away from home that they go behind with when they concede the first goal in, in the Premier League. They did it at Istanbul as well in these slow starts. So it is a, an issue for them. And if they do go behind, it completely changes what they need to do. While, they, while they're level, they'll feel comfortable. But if they concede first, then they've, they're, they're going to have an issue. So that is a concern for them. 
Um, Leipzig, by all accounts, were pretty good at Bayern Munich on, on Saturday night and drawing 3-3. Um, so it, I mean, it's, it's frustrating for United that it's come to this, given the start they've had. But it is, I think it's going to be a massive test for, for this squad and, and these players, really, to to get over the line in a win-or-boss game. So, Tyrone, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that Solskjaer's probably to the who he trusts for this double-header this week, and you expect him to, to go as strong as he can. He rested Fred against West Ham to keep him fit for Man City next week, and with Fred suspended midweek, there's a bit of a midfield dilemma for United. Uh, what type of team selection would you go for um, for United? You've already hinted that you'd probably see De Gea back in goal, but the rest of the team, would you change formation to three at the back? Would you stick with four, three, three? Uh, for me, it would depend on Cavani and Martial's fitness. I think if they're both out, I'd revert to probably a three at the back or alternatively go with the diamond again, which, which worked pretty well against Leipzig at, at Old Trafford, although it's been a bit of a horror show in other games. I think the risk with, if you've only got really Rashford, Greenwood, J- um, Matter and maybe James available in, in attack and you play three of them, then you're really limiting your options to to change the game if you do find yourself behind and, and chasing it. So I'd probably consider just playing Rashford and, and Greenwood up front, kind of a split strikers, probably a 3-5-2. I, I doubt he's going to throw Luke Shaw straight back in, even if he is no. edging towards fitness now. So that's not ideal because Shaw really does make that back three tick, but Twanzibi is an option to, to come in and, and Baye's been back in squad recently, so he can be on the bench as well. So I would probably lean towards a formation change and, and play in that back three, just purely to, to protect at least a couple of the attacking players who can who can try and change the game. So that's what I'll probably lean towards. What Solskjaer will do, who knows? Um, probably interesting to see if, if Pogba plays. I thought it was easily his best performance of the season in, in midweek. I think it would be a risk to play him and Fernandes in a 4-3-3 against a team like Leipzig. Um, I think United might be a bit too open if they do that. So he wants to get Pogba in. It might be a case of, of playing the diamond and, and getting him in that way. But think for me, I, I would probably edge towards the three-five-two, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a diamond either, to be honest. No, yeah, I think that's exactly the same as what I I probably go for as well. Sorry, like I, said, I think the diamond would probably suit Pogba maybe if he did have mm. some in the in the deeper yeah. role and Pogba, McTominay, Bruno uh, ahead of them. But yeah, I think three-five-two would be the safest option. Like you said, Luke Shaw does make that that back three stronger yeah, and, and gives the, the perfect balance. But if you had De Gea and Gold and you've got Wan-Bissaka and Tellers, I think Tellers as well in that 3 2 it's in perfectly as the mm. one rather than Shaw there or Brandon Williams. And then obviously Maguire, Lindelof, but like you said, if United were to go 3-5-2, it's who do you actually trust in the midfield? McTominay seems a certain starter, so does Anderson. there's one space left. It's whether you go for Matic or Ogba. I guess this weekend, will show, oh, sorry, this Tuesday night will show just how much maybe Solskjaer does trust Popper. Mm. Uh, you know, on Mary points as the start because he was, he was really good uh, for that last half hour, particularly against West Ham, scored a great goal. So it'll be interesting to see. But like you said, Tyrone, who knows? Uh, <laughs> who knows what United will turn up and who knows what the mood will be next time we're on the podcast. It Indeed. Be, excitement looking ahead to a derby of United in the last 16 in the Champions League or it could be doom and gloom who knows who knows we will have to wait and see Leipzig away for United on Tuesday night Tyrone thank you very much for joining us once again on the Manchester is Red podcast an absolute pleasure
And thank you very much for listening once again. I know you might not have heard about it so far, but the Fans Football of the Year Award is up, up uh, vote at the moment. So like I said, if you go to www.fansfootballer of the year, you can vote for both the Manchester United uh, Fans Player of the Year and the overall Fans Player of the Year for the Premier League as well. So thank you very much for listening once again to the Manchester is Red podcast. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. It does help us and we'll see you again next time.